going to be fine. So, hello and welcome. This is episode 95, you think? 95 of the, I think so, of the Nokomoto podcast. This is a very unusual episode coming to you from somewhere in Kansas. Coming to you from somewhere in Kansas. We are driving back home from a wedding on Sunday night. This is going to drop almost instantly after we're done recording this. You know, every show eventually has to do a car cast just because of logistical reasons, and so this one is ours. Magically, we've got our sound effects still going through the car stereo system, and we even have a laptop going here with Wi-Fi. So, it should be largely the same show. You're just going to hear some car noises. There's not much we can do about that. We're going to try to minimize that noise here with the small amount of editing that we can do to this. But for the first time also, you're basically going to hear us completely unedited. So we're this, sorry. Yeah, this is just how it this is how it ends up raw. Okay, so for a show we've got best worst bike to do. We've got a list of the worst motorcycle names that we could come up with. We've got some emails to do, and probably not much else. We might come up with something. I kind of want to talk about the uh, the the bikers only websites. Okay. I took I took a deep dive recently into the biker websites, and it turns out there's more than we thought, and there are gay versions for all of them as well. Yeah, we need to call somebody from one of these websites and get them to call us. Because why wouldn't they, right? I, <laughs> I don't know how seriously I can interview them, but, you know, I'll, I'll just have to ask a bunch of silly questions. Totally deadpan when we come to that. All right, anyway, but for this episode. So, um... Let's see. Yeah, we're not at Moto One. We're not in headquarters here. There are no interns. The interns are hundreds of miles away. Thank God. This episode will probably be better. Okay. So, do do do. I say there's not much to do but get to best worst bike, right? Let's do it. Let's te- let's test their sound effects. Cool. Okay, so here we go. If you don't know how this works, a little disclaimer, best worst bike in the world this week is where we each pick a motorcycle and propose it to be the best or worst bike in the entire world for this week. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise, even in this even in this one this week. However, some people just can't accept the segment for what it is. And they want to get angry about it. So you should stay calm and send emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. But if you can't stay calm about it, uh, I can't think of one of these on the fly. So just remember, like Liza says, there's no crying in motorcycles. Okay, now, Swiggy, you have best bike in the world this week. No. 
Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. You have worst bike. I have best bike. That's right. That's right. I prepared. I pre- <laughs> you prepared a bike, didn't you? I did, <laughs> and it is the best bike. It's look. It is hard to keep it straight. I don't know why. Okay. So you have what? Are we not gonna do the drum roll? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to reveal it? Yes. Okay. And the best bike in the worst bike in the world this week is. The first generation of Hinkley Triumph Bonneville. Oh, shit. Here, hold the mic for a sec. Okay. So, the reason I picked this bike is because when you think about what the bike is, you know, it's a new bike, and it's the first, it's not, it's not the first, but it's one of the early kind of new retro bikes and it's not that it's a particularly bad bike but it's already progressed so far you can get it in higher displacements liquid cooled fuel injected dual front discs uh, abs there's so many features that have been added on to it and the fit and finish are superior to what they were before. So, in a way, it's an older bike. You know, it's really kind of of the last generation of motorcycles in that it's got all of those older features still, even if it's machined to a higher quality and it's got a few more modern parts. But at the same time, the fact that it's the like the earliest of the new Bonnevilles doesn't lend it any real historical significance to anybody today. So while it was a great bike at the time, and in many ways is still a decent bike, given what you can get now, and given what it is for the price and for the distinction and the, you know, the reputation, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Oddly, it's one of the bikes that you can also be conned a little for getting what you're looking at because of the fact that it's carbureted, but then Triumph went and put fake carburetors over fuel injectors on the more modern bikes you can actually be fooled a little bit by it um, I'm having trouble with the Wi-Fi getting specs here but um, now does this one have the same motor as the Bonneville America uh, I actually have no idea I'll bet it does. I know that one's a little underwhelming. It's barely... It's essentially sports or 883 kind of power. Is yeah. essentially what you're getting. Yeah, it's not much more than the W650 has. Okay. So... I mean, yeah, I guess like you said, they're, they're so much better with... With the, with the better brakes and the better motor and all the power, the fit and finish. But these old, these ones from 2003, or even earlier, 
still command similar used prices to the new ones. Right, which they totally don't justify. I agree. So it's really, it's not that the motorcycle itself is shit, because it's not, but compared to what you can get for the same money, like, why would you get an old one? The old ones should be worthless, but they're not. Right. Well, they shouldn't be worthless, but most of them should be 500 to to $1,000 less in asking price than what people are actually asking for. Okay, I agree with that. Um, yeah, there's not much to say about the look of it or anything, because it's a Bonneville, and therefore about as standard as things can possibly be. Yeah. I... Yeah, I'd say if you're going into this era, like, maybe look into one of the early triples, like the Thunderbird or something, because it's just got a little bit more character, and you will get that one cheaper. Yeah, I agree. Well, not only that, but there are some much newer, like, if you go, like, first year fuel injected, I think even if you're paying a little bit more, I think you're getting a much, you're getting a lot more for your money. Were they not always fuel-injected from the beginning with these? No, the first ones, like 2003 to 2007, I want to say, were all um, were all carbureted. I thought it was fake carburetors from the very beginning. No. Really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Well, you should double-check that. I haven't looked it up in a while. But I, they were not... Huh. I. Hmm. So let's try to get these. Uh, so Bonneville 790. So 2001. It's the first year. Development, so. Transmission, wheelbase. It's. I'm, it's surprisingly hard to find a good spec sheet for these. That's really weird. Yeah. Well, the internet is slow. We're in the middle of Kansas, all right? I'm doing my best. Bikes.com. So, oh, it's bikes with a Z. Okay, so, I mean, the pictures aren't going to be real important. But... 62 horsepower, okay. Finally found this. So, they were carbureted legit to begin with. How about that? So, it looks like about 2008 when they put on the fake carburetors. You were you were on point there. Um, so, at 62 horsepower, it is actually significantly more power than a Sportster. That's, yeah, it's a good, like, 8, or eight to 9 horsepower more than a W650 as well. And I think it's like four or five more horsepower than a W800. Yeah. So, yeah, what we're talking about is a difference of $1,000 making this potentially a best bike. If we could just get this market to crash, right? Yeah, or to hit its actual value. Right. 
then we're looking at something that's really compelling. But I can't tell somebody in good conscience to drop four and a half grand on a bike like this. Yeah, from 2002 that's carbureted. I can't tell someone to do that. But that's what people ask for them. Yeah. And especially in 2002, before cafe racers and classic bikes had come back super strong. Mostly old dudes bought these, and a lot of them have kept them in really nice shape and are therefore still convinced they're worth that money. And they're just not. Okay. Um. Yeah, I didn't really. Because these bikes now are up to. are like probably up about 20 horsepower. Uh, yeah, I want to say. Um. A current Bonneville is like 85, 86 horsepower now. That sounds right. I'm not going to Google the specs because it'll take 20 fucking minutes out here. But, um, yeah, the, what you're getting for, for for that money in a newer one is, is a lot more. Because at 62, this is going to struggle to break 100 miles an hour. Yeah. I know they're all at least, like, 68. Even, like, the previous generation is, like, 68 horsepower. Right. Um, you know, 44 foot-pounds of torque at the wheel. Uh, sorry, at the, at, the, at the crank. Not bad for a bike like this. And, you know, getting that 62 horsepower out of essentially an 800 twin, that's, that's respectable. If we're being carbureted, these aren't bad numbers. It's just, like you said... Every single piece of the bike is so much better now. Right. And they look the same. You're getting the same sort of lifestyle experience out of both of them. So, all right, cool. I like that. Okay, we ready to move on to best bike? Yep. Okay. It better be one I've seen before because this is not going to work out too well. Well, fortunately for you, I've loaded pictures onto the phone so you can... Look in front of you. Okay. I am still driving. Well, yeah. And the best bike in the world this week is the 1958 Moto Marini 250GP bike. Have we not done this before? This is the 250 inline four? No. This is different. This is another Moto uh, that w- no, that one before wasn't a Mono Marini. That was a MV Augusta, I believe. Uh, okay. Uh, this is the 1958 250 GP bike. They made, like, eight of them or something, whatever. That, unlike that supercharged 250 inline four from, like, 1948 or 38 or something, um... This is 1958, so Moto Marini, as we've talked about before, just crushed it in small displacement racing. And small displacement back then meant like 125cc, 175, 250, those were sort of the classes. 500 was huge, right? So in 1958, this is a single cylinder. 250 but it's really special this was even having just one cylinder 
faster than four, many four-cylinder 250 bikes at the time. This was the, and still is in many ways considered the fastest single cylinder in the world. Their fastest 250 single cylinder. Its output, it's going to be hard to find those specs here, but it's something like close to 40 horsepower out of this 250 single. This bike was ridiculous. It won three championships. Uh, the number of wins is ridiculous. Oh, three! It won three world championships. It won five uh, smaller, just Italian-only championships. There was like six first-place wins or something like that in at the GP level. There were huge, like it, basically in every other uh, world competitive race it placed second or third that it didn't win. Like, it was always on the podium for the entire, like, three run, you know, three to five years it was racing. It was just untouchable. This was, you know, the the Honda 213V of its day. 21.3. Okay, 21.3. Anyway. Um... Yes. Now, on top of that, it's gorgeous. Let me give you the phone here so you can kind of take a look at some of the beauty that this thing is. And it's going to be tricky because you're driving, but if you can find close-up shots of the engine, it this is all one-off you know, pieces made for this bike. And every piece of it is just gorgeous gorgeous it's made with so much detail and care kind of like that two that 250 inline four supercharged bike and i think right now there's only like two of these currently existing and they're great because they were both actually raced so they've got that that race patina on them but they're still in really nice shape this is one of those bikes where it's like, how much is it worth? We don't know. I, like, it's too valuable to ask the question. Yeah. Basically. Uh, everything from these air scoops, these super distinct air, uh, teardrop-shaped air scoops that are put in five points around the... Uh, the drum brake so as they spin they scoop air into the drum brake rather than have a sort of um what do you call it like a like an intake to 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 catch air and suck it through there right or or force air in through the front these take you know create a little less drag than that right it's down to that level um the 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 separate oil tank here down at the bottom even has an aerodynamic shape to it. Everything about it is super beautiful, super thought out, and it's 100% all for speed. It's and and it's beautiful. Like look at look at this Moto Marini logo cast into the side of it. Right. That is beautiful. Right. I like that. Oh, 
the the fins and everything the tech like oh it's so good these leather grip handles are beautiful well they always did some everything in such small batch that you know like this bike was like two guys just doing everything by hand and with pencil and paper like there's there's no computers involved here there's no big engineering team it's really almost like a britain situation where it's a bit more standard but it's just like it's just a couple dudes yeah yeah pretty much um there are there's a few good websites that have some write-ups on this story and it's basically like i said um there's not a whole lot written about the bike though unfortunately because there's like a couple of them that exist and it's just like one of those things where a few times they've been traded but like currently right now it's been so long since one was sold or or taken over by someone else or at least someone that happened and it was recorded that anyone knows about it like no one no one knows what this is worth currently it would just have to be auctioned to find out but this is the kind of like that 250 supercharged bike this is the kind of thing that just sits on display and then every few years it gets crated to be taken to the quail right and that and that's all it does and it's someone has it and it's priceless and it's amazing and if you're really if you are into race bikes and stripped down bikes and and singles and small displacement stuff you need to check out this bike and know about it the the moto marini 250 gp uh 58 to 61 i think they raced it i know Giacomo agostini had something to do with early testing of it although i don't think he ever raced it and won with it and i can't remember the name of the guy that had most of the race wins on it but he's a pretty big name as well I just have limited facts about this in front of me today. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the best bike in the world this week. And um, yeah, let's uh, go now to our next segment. You know what, for fun, even though this is recorded live, I'm putting in a sound effect. Hold on. Where are you, button? <laughs> And we're back as if we went everywhere else. Okay, so we've got our list. Terrible, terrible bike names. Let me bring up the notes I made about this on my phone. Ba 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 bum. Come here, come to me. Here they are. Cool. So we've we've got these in a couple categories bad motorcycle names we're not just going to name the bikes and say well that sucks we've got some good reasoning behind this so we've got place names we've got alphanumeric names which you wouldn't have thought could be bad but we found some yeah we really did uh there's names that are bad but somehow they still work like people they kind of work as good names even though they're really bad names then we've got names that are good but for some reason don't work they're seen as bad names and then a couple others that are just plain bad so let's start with place names now this one's gonna hit close to home tell us our first name swigs uh the moto guzzi norge 
Yeah. So, most people don't even know how to fucking say the name of this bike, let alone what the, describe what the name is and what it means. But give us a little uh, meaning on the name. So, Norge is both Italian and uh, Norwegian for Norway. And the reasoning behind the name is of historical significance. Because back in, like, the late 40s or early 50s, um, Moto Guzzi kind of perfected a kind of early single-sided swing arm uh, rear suspension. And back at that time, all motorcycle suspension was just complete balls. And to prove that their suspension was great, they basically did a trip from the from the, the factory all the way to Norway on like a 3,000 mile... Or no, it was like 15... It, on a very long trip, essentially. And it was like a kind of a big event in the, the company's history that kind of proved that their suspension was the best. I don't know how that ties back to the Norge specifically, because it has virtually the exact same suspension that all their bikes have, but that's the reason behind the name. I think they just wanted some sort of legacy name for a newer, adventure sort of bike, and I guess to people in Italy, Norway seems like kind of an... Well, think, Italy's already got coast and oceans and plenty of mountains. It's already a fairly adventure type place to go riding. So, to impress Italians with roads, you really need something that's very different and stark in contrast. And, to be fair, Norway is kind of that. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it is a long way away. It's like Mexico to Canada, essentially. Well, yeah, but, like, the, the, the nature of the geography and the weather and the conditions are radically different than the Mediterranean. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they've got fjords. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lovely, crinkly edges. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, but the problem is, is nobody in the U.S., which is primarily where they sold the bike, knows what the fuck the name means. Because it has... So, to, yeah, to get, to get, for this name to work for you, you have to have someone tell you how to pronounce it, which will be difficult if you don't listen to us or the wheel nerds, right? Yeah. And then on top of that you have to be, like, a level 7 motorcycle nerd to know the Moto Guzzi history behind the suspension and the previous bike and that name, right? Yeah, it's... And then value that connection to the current bike. So, it's a terrible name on all accounts. It's weird. It doesn't conjure much up legitimately. It's, it's impossible to pronounce. And when you finally, when all the pieces do come together, it's still a dorky name. It is a, yeah, even once you've gone through all the steps, it's a bit underwhelming. 
<laughs> so we had to go there. Now, the next one is another Italian bike with a place name. And this is one that we found out today. And this is this is a hell of a one. We've got the Aprilia Dorsoduro. Yeah. So it turns out Dorsoduro is like the most seaward facing expensive side of Venice. Well known for their motorcycle culture. Yeah. I if this was some sort of aqua bike, I would understand this name. But not, currently I don't. Why the fuck is this the name of this motorcycle? I it this name is so bad because it now I, I will say Dorsoduro sounds a lot cooler than Norge. Sure. But the motorcycle is a hypermoto or hypermotard, right? It's like a dirt bike, but it's got like a 900cc V-twin in it making stupid amounts of power. And then the sport tires. So it's it's kind of like a, what's the Ducati one called? The hypermotard. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, so this is, it's like the it's Aprilia's version of the of the Ducati Hypermotard, basically. So, you know, take your standard dirt bike, put sport tires on it, but make the engine twice the size, and that's what you've got, more or less, and some some Italian styling cues. But what the fuck does that have to do with Venice? I don't know. Nobody does. So, I, it, this name is such a mismatch. I, I, there must be a reason for it that we don't know. But we tried to look into it, and we Googled it. Now, granted, we have very poor service right now. But, you know what? We tried. And, uh, we don't know what it means. So, this is a terrible name. Yeah. That, there you go. Yeah. Okay. What's next on the list? Oh. <laughs> We've got the, uh, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, so this was... I could see how some people would think that would be an interesting name, but one, for one thing, they just they dropped the D, and it's Grand Canyon, not Grand Canyon. So it's both uneducated and pretentious. Yes, and this is the uh, the Kajiva, which this is basically um, the budget attempt at the Multistrada, and what eventually became the Multistrada at Ducati, uh, made by, uh, not Tamburini, what's the other guy with a T? Um, oh. Creator of the 999 yeah, and the 916. Turblanche. Um, Turblanche, there we go. Yeah. So this is what he made, and it's very much identical to the Multistrada, but just a bit shittier, and done on a Kajiba budget. Um, but yeah, you know, the Grand Canyon, largely occupied with the river, 
not a great place to ride a bike. Yeah, it turns out if you go to the Grand Canyon, like, from your motorcycle, really very little of it's visible. Well, yeah, because it's like a quarter mile down in a canyon, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, really, it's, it's dropping the D off of Grand that gets me the most. Like I said, it's both uneducated and pretentious. Like, ooh, it's the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Come on. Someone could have done five minutes of testing with this name. Like, this was something that one dude thought was super clever, and it really wasn't. Okay. <coughs> All right, we got to get moving through this. So we've got now some really bad alphanumeric names. So this is like your... ZX6R, CBR600, you know, any any letter number combination of bikes, of which there are very many. In fact, I'm aware of very few motorcycles that don't have an alphanumeric name behind the name that they're more commonly known by. But plenty of bikes only have alphanumeric names. So, number one, terrible alphanumeric name is the Honda NM4. Now, I personally like the NM4, but this is a polarizing bike. A lot of people hate it just because. This is the one that doesn't have any foot controls, and it looks like the Bat Bike, like Batman's motorcycle. And it's really futuristic looking. It's got a dual-clutch transmission that some people say works fine. Some people say is... Uh, you know, has problems, but whatever. It's more or less an automatic twist-and-go situation with link brakes. It's easy to ride, but... Well, what does NM4 say about that? Well, that's the main problem. When you have these letter designations, they kind of work because they're all tied into each other. If I tell you what a CBR 1100R, if I like come up with CBR 1100R you have a good idea of what that bike is there may be some peculiar characteristics that aren't revealed by the name but you kind of know what it is already well the C it well yeah that name works because if he was as soon as you say CB you know that the engine is arranged with the cylinders across the frame yeah right so you know it's not a V4 and you know it's not an inline, uh, you know, put like one way. You know it's not a flat six. You know it's either a two, three, or four-cylinder bike, and it, and the engine's across the frame. You now R lets you know it's a sport bike. Then the, the, the number after that lets you know the displacement, and the number of R's after that let you know just how many track-ready options it has. Right. So every piece of it has already been abstracted away to tell you something about the bike. Yes, but NM4 is just, there's nothing about the displacement, there's nothing about the motor. In fact, it's, it is the, the half a Honda Fit motor. It's the, um, what's the bike? Blanking. Um, oh, like the CTX 700 and the uh, the NC 700. Yeah, it's that, it's that motor, but... 
with the name, with the number and the letter designation, like, it's totally orphaned from that information. So unless you already know what the NM4 is, NM4 tells you nothing. Right. Well, the N probably has something to do with that, uh, you know, the same as the NC 700. That It's probably the same N. But, what, but as far as the M or the 4, I'm in the fucking dark. Well, it doesn't even matter what they mean or if they mean nothing. If they mean something, you're not borrowing from any other model or other any other family, so it's worthless to you. Well, also, for a bike with so much character, how can the name be so terrible? It, it, it's such a recognizable bike, but yet hardly anyone knows it's called the NM4. They're like, oh yeah, that Honda one that looks like the Batmobile bike? I mean, that's how people commonly refer to it, because it's got such a terrible name. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So let's keep moving, making progress here. The next is right now any of Suzuki's naked bikes. So GSX some number S or S some number, right? GSXS. This is based purely on the fact that it's fucking difficult to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with GSXR, which is not super easy to say quickly. I mean, we're, we're all kind of practice at it now. But it was, you know, enough of a burden that we came up with the name Jixxer, which works great. And that whole family of bikes has a great reputation. Or, I mean, at least it has great name recognition. And it's become its own thing. But the GSXS... It's not only difficult to say, there's no great abbreviation for it, and the bikes aren't popular enough for anyone to come up with one. Right, we could call it the Jixis. But nobody cares. Right, no one cares. So therefore it remains a terrible name. Now, why they can't just make Well, we'll get to we'll get to why they can't rename it later, because that's another name on this list. <laughs> Weirdly, our suggestion is they replace that terrible name with another terrible name on this list because it'll be slightly less bad. But anyway, uh, so our next one is a very new bike, and it's a name that we like, but it turns out it is a bad name. And this is the CBR 1000 RR, the new Fireblade. Now, the four R's in the name and the ridiculous stacking of R's is so absurd, I'm a fan. But this name technically has a huge problem, which is that this, this bike makes just the regular CBR 1000 RR, which you can still purchase and will always be able to still purchase from Honda, a completely meaningless name. Yeah, now the race, the bike with race ready in the name is not the race ready bike. It's not the actual racing bike anymore. Right, and the regular CBR 1000 RR, the RR stands for race ready. But now you have to have three R's to mean race ready. So, what the fuck? 
Would it have been that hard to just come up with a new name? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. They could have done something else with fire and blades and storms and things and come up with something like the the fire blade. I don't know. How about the fire wave or something? (laughs) It wouldn't have fucking mattered just as long as it was a different name. But, and also people call it the new Fireblade, but the old CBR 1000 RR is also still the Fireblade. But they're two different bikes with different engines and different frames and different bodywork. So, how do they share the same name? It's confusing and unclear. Yeah, there's nothing more to really add there. Also, what does the third R, what does the fourth R stand for? Is it like race ready, no really, or like, is well, it really race ready? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I think, uh, was it front end chatter said it's really race ready is what they said, <laughs> which I like as a theory. I doubt that's what it means, but I like that theory. Okay, moving on. We've got names that are really good. Or, sorry, names that are technically bad, but somehow work as if they're good names. So, I think the leader in the clubhouse for this category is the Harley-Davidson Electroglide. Yes. It So, to know why the bike is called the Electroglide is a, is a, is a pretty cool like little revealing moment if you don't know. It was Harley Davidson's first bike with electric starts, is the Electra part, and the Glide, I believe, referred to the fact that it had front and rear suspension, not just a sprung saddle and some front Springer shocks. It had real suspension at the front and back wheel. Therefore, the experience was more like gliding, I guess, or that's that would have been the sensation in you know, 1950s standards. So, Electric Light, great name for the time. But these have been two exceptionally standard features, like, that are just implied in the fact that you have a motorcycle for some time now. So Well, they were 15 years after they came out. You couldn't find a bike that didn't have electric start if it was a street bike. Right, and, and there's been a Harley-Davidson Electroglide since, like, the late 50s. Yeah, so although it was although it was a very flashy thing at the time, and it was maybe an interesting thing to name it, the name dated itself within, like, 15 years, and they've still stuck with it. And they're almost trying to, like, grandfather it in, but it's as, like, a classic name, but a name with heritage. But it's really hard to push for heritage with something that is just uh, self-dating so quickly when it's advertising features. Right. So, the name somehow works because, one, it's fun to say. But, two... If you think about it, it's a it's unusual enough and sort of implies a, a sort of classic sense of luxury. And so it, therefore it's flourishy. 
So because it's a flagship bike, you know, the full four-syllable name works. Electroglide. It's it's a big name for a big bike. And this might sound like I'm just sort of making excuses, but no, like, it is fun to say. Yeah, phonetically, it's very good. Right. And the next bike on the list, just to prove the point, is a very different kind of bike in many ways. But its name works for pretty much the same reason. And that's the Multistrada. Yeah. So, you know, Many Roads is the translation for Multistrada. Gives you a feeling of what it's supposed to tell you, but Many Roads... Like, does that really, like, incorporate fire trails and highway and back roads? Does it say that explicitly? Like, no, not really. It Like, many roads, that could just mean many city roads, like, lots of highways only. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually describe what you th- might think it describes. But it's fun to say Multistrada and it's flourishing, and it's a big flagship bike. So, the name has grown into itself as yeah. the bike has become more beautiful and flourished as well. Yeah, I think the name has kind of... I think Yeah, I think the bike has grown into the name. You know, I don't think the 1000DS really suited the name Multistrada. But the new, the 1200s and the 1250s and all the big kind of adventure touring bikes it works with. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on here. So we've got names that we think were technically good, or are technically good, but for some reason the the public just doesn't accept them. And these are both Suzuki's here. So number one, the Gladius. Better known as the the Suzuki Bandits, but it was known as the Gladius for a little while. But for some reason, this name didn't connect with people. I mean, it's a sword, and I I don't know. It's not an elegant sword. It's kind of a bit of a blunt weapon. But, but so, so is, is the Bandit. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just a torque monster, and I yeah I. What, what was wrong with this name? But people say, yeah, but it's called the Gladius. Like, Do you think just a lot of people didn't know that the Gladius was a Roman sword? Perhaps. But there's something phonetically about it that doesn't... I don't know. Uh, maybe they did know and they just thought, like, why are you trying to call this bike short and stubby? You know? Well, I mean, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's technically a great name. I totally see how it passed a committee, but for whatever reason, the 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 public didn't accept it. All right, now this next one, the public did accept the katana. <sighs> what an awesome name! for such a terrible motorcycle. Now, what we're talking about is the Gen 2 Katanas. 
Yeah. The, uh... Yeah, the... The GSX-F models. So, the 600s, the, the ones with the Sonic the Hedgehog eyes that were still air-cooled and carbureted and were kind of purporting to be sport bikes, but really weren't, you know? Well, I mean, in many ways, they were kind of good bikes for the right price and as long as you accepted what they were as, as essentially budget bikes. And they didn't make a lot of power, but the problem is that by being the cheapest sport bike, they got bought by people who were looking for the cheapest sport bike and got used and abused like no other bike. And thus, the reputation got dragged down with, by basically by the owners. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah, the name is awesome, but it's been sullied. The biggest problem the Katana ever had was the Ninja. So... Kawasaki was slinging the name Ninja around and having huge success in no small part, you know, thanks to Tom Cruise and Top Gun. But, but, Suzuki had this name Katana and they thought, we've got another name we can market against Ninja that's just as cool. And, you know, Ninjas and, and Ninja Weapons were really big in the 90s. Every kid wanted nunchucks, right? So, the Katana was a great name, but it just got sullied because it was, there was some oversaturation, uh, a little bragging, and uh, some promises that couldn't be lived up to, and also one of the ugliest, most terrible motorcycles of the 90s took its name. And now, as it comes back, I feel like the new Katana should be a much bigger success than it is. And I can't help but think some of the terrible Katana reputation is still sitting with this name. Yeah, I mean... Well, it was enough that they decided to go back to the first generation Katana. And just, there has been no mention or no imagery of the Gen 2 Katana whatsoever. Yeah. It's... And there's nobody saying, hey, well, I, th I was expecting something like the Gen 2 Katana. Said nobody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move to our last two here. And these are names that are just plain bad. And we could probably come up with 20 more of these, but these two are pretty good. Uh, first, we've got another Suzuki... The Suzuki Intruder. Yeah, so if you think about similar names where, you know, when you kind of have these names um, that kind of loosely fall into the uh, the enemy combatant class of yeah. motorcycle names. Um, There's a shocking amount of. Right. They're always trying to... They're trying to pass on some indication of both competency or, like, virtue and aggression. You know, like, the Interceptor. There's kind of an aviation tie-in. There's this, um, 
this allusion to speed and the fact that you're chasing and catching somebody else down. Like, it's a strong name. But intruder, there's no kind of virtue ascribed to that word. It might as well be called the home invader. Like, it's all aggression, no Or the petty thief. Yeah. Yeah. It's all aggression and no virtue. So it just totally misses the mark. Yeah, I. you would rather have a name that just... I would argue that because the name is sort of almost harmless, you'd rather have just an all-out, flat-out, obviously bad name, like the the hoodlum or something, right? The something hooligan. That, yeah, the hooligan would be a better name because even though it has negative connotation... It at least evokes something in you, and it evokes an idea and a philosophy about the bike. But the intruder is vague enough. Like, it seems like it works at first, but as soon as you think about it for a couple minutes, you're like, no, no, I don't get it, right? Okay, and then the last one we've got on the list here is the Yamaha Maxim. It's got Max in the name. With the Yamaha Maxim? Yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, we didn't do the Eluder. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Yeah, we'll do that last. Okay. okay. So, the Maxim. I mean, to keep it short, same problem as the Intruder. It sounds good at first. It has Max in the name. Cool. It's short and easy to say. I mean, anything with an X in the middle is generally a pretty cool name, right? Maxim sounds like a great word. Like, I guess it was supposed to... But the problem is, is that it could have worked potentially if it hit the market as somehow the best bike, if it somehow bested the VMAX or something. But the bike itself didn't enter the market as the best of as a, of anything. So how could it make a definitive statement about anything except mediocrity? Yeah, I don't really have a lot to add there. It's just, this was not a great name. No. it's it, But again, like it seems like it would be. But you only have to think about it for a couple seconds. All right. And then, so finally, another Yamaha. We've got a current model, the Eluder, which is kind of a budget version of the Venture, I guess. Well, first of all, Eluder, like, once you stop thinking about it, what, what it means and you just say it, sound it out loud, it just sounds like a dirty word. The Eluder. It's, it's not a great word, phonetically. It's true. It's not fun to say, and it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable sounding. Well, like, not only that, but it's similar to the the intruder, where it's it's kind of going for aggressive or sly or sleek or fast or you know aggressive in some way, but it's like a total step removed rather than just being off the mark. Like certain things are aspirational that we would then additionally describe as elusive. But elusive in and of itself is something that can be ascribed 
to an inanimate object. Often. Right. So, yeah. And, well, and, I mean, I think the only thing that the bike is eluding is value. Because it's only like, it's it's like $2,000 cheaper than the Venture or something like that. But it has more than $2,000 worth of stuff removed from it. You're losing like the top case and all the extra lights. You're losing the entertainment system and a bunch of features off the front. You're losing wind protection. You're losing... Um, I mean, you're probably keeping the floorboards, but I, I'm not even sure if you are keeping the floorboards, honestly. It's the budget version of the Venture. Like, I, it's somehow a worse value than the Venture, which we're not particularly into. I, the Venture looks good on paper, but that's the only place. Once you experience it in real life, you're like, not for me. Or I guess once you experience riding it in town, what, you know, it, it's fine on the highway in a straight line, but that's the only thing it does well. So, yeah, going for the eluder is even crazier. So, all right, that does it for our list, I think. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to see if I can bring up some emails here on my phone and if that works we're going to read a few of those alright you could pull up the emails on your computer it's too slow and unreliable I got it right here, we're good okay, so I'm going to read the emails again this time because I'm the only one that has it in front of me and I don't think you would want Swiggy to read them while he's driving. It would be an even bigger train wreck than him reading them drunk. So, here we go. We've got one from Christopher here. And the title of this email was, Fine, I am contributing. So, this one's a little bit long. We'll, we may have to condense this a little bit. But... We'll see what we can do. So it says, Dear Moto G, Pete, and Swiggy, this will be my very first message that I've ever sent to a podcast. Due to the amazing show that you two are producing, I believe you are worth writing to. I stumbled upon Nokomoto while I was trying to find something to listen to while I was working 10-hour shifts. I was externally a huge... Uh, Harley loyalist until something clicked in my head and realized that Harley charges way too much for the type of motorcycles they have. So I wanted to learn as much about all the other bikes that there are in the world. But that being said, I love best and worst bike because it's a great way to see different bikes as well as some downfalls that they may have. A little about me. I'm 29, grew up in Northern Minnesota age 16 i was one of seven of my friends who originally planned to go get our motorcycle license that got one so we got a bunch of riding history here he's talking about bikes that he owned but essentially he got a 06 street bob finally and then he went into the marine corps and there he went to california blah blah blah, blah, blah. oh so he also at the same time got an r1 and eventually sold the r1 
because he didn't have that many people to ride the R1 with. Feeling like, okay, well, I've got this Harley that I ride with the Harley guys and an R1 that I ride with other guys. And I mean, I sort of see that part of this, but I've never really felt the need to have a special bike to ride with certain people, you know? Um, if some people are more comfortable that way, well, and you've got the money for both bikes, I guess more power to you. But, uh, if someone had a problem with what kind of bike I've got, I'm not sure that I'd be riding with them, but okay. Anyway, uh, so in 2013, his wife ended up selling her GSXR 650 well, she didn't because there's no such thing as a GSXR 650. There was a GSX 650F, which is what I'm assuming the bike was. Another terribly named motorcycle. It's difficult to say. So he just went with Jixer 650. Which, yeah, I assume you just wrote that because it's easier. Okay. So then she got a 2013 BMW S1000 RR. Big change. Step up. Yeah. Um, so he sold his wide glide and he got an 07 ZX6R. So that's one of the, the sweet years for the 636. Uh, he enjoyed them both having sport bikes. They rode together more often. However, uh, he was getting back problems. So he got another Ostrich 06 Street Bob. Then they moved to Arizona. Now he's got a KLR 650. And he's falling in love with it. So much that apparently his wife, who rides, banned him from saying the K word in her presence. He talked about this bike that much. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, finally, he ends up getting an 06 Goldwing. And it says ABS here, but I'm guessing there's some autocorrect there. And uh, he got the Goldwing with the airbag. Where ABS might mean airbag system here instead of actual ABS. I don't know. But he says he ended up looking for ABS because of a comment we made. And it really didn't change the overall price. Uh, but that's like when we said, if you get a Goldwing, you have to get a Goldwing with an airbag. Because people are like, oh, this is the bike that has the airbag. And you don't want to look at them and be like, no, not this one, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, let's see. Uh, he's got a, a good moment for the show here. He uh, says he laughed pretty hard when we defined who and what made a moto slut. Um, he says he's not sure if he could be called a moto slut yet, but he's trying. And he's wondering if we have any thoughts about a good adventure bike. He says, I don't want a big bike. I don't plan on getting on the freeway often and at all. I like the idea of the TW200 until he saw the prices of them, about two to four grand. He can get a KLR for that. But the NC750, V-Strom 650, DRZ650, GS650, you know, but he's not sure about what would be good all around. 
you know, you want something utilitarian, utilitarian, but minus the long distance highway trips. Uh, so he's looking for something light, small enough that he can learn how to off-road with and be able to grow into. So he can hold on to it for a while, but right now he's on the farm. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. There's two options. Two options? Okay, what do you think? One is just pour money into your KLR 650. And the second is to go for a WR450F or possibly a uh, CR450F. Wouldn't the 450L make more sense since it's the street legal package? Actually, yeah, you're right. Sorry, the 450L. Um, Yeah, so either Honda or Yamaha with the high-performance 450 single is essentially the KLR just a lot lighter and with some better suspension and features. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you have the, if you're buying new, the 450L, or you're right, throw money and just get every add-on that the KLR can possibly have. Get get the nice bark busters. Put heated grips on it. Put a rack on the back. Put a rack. I think they even made... Well, I know you can get their, their KLR 650 boxes, but... Um, yeah, get get everything. Upgrade everything, service everything. You know, take take the bike you've already gotten love, the unkillable one. And then and somewhere then, in the middle, uh, as opposed to the brand new 450L from Honda, is the is to get kind of like a first year fuel injected um, Yamaha WR450F, which is kind of what the 450L was built to compete with yeah um let's see and you know what i would say like when you get a klr 650 and you deck it out with everything it's sort of there it's sort of okay for doing the the long distance trips on like plenty of people have done the long highway trips with that bike with everything added onto it so you may already have the bike that you want. So there we go. The only other thing he added was uh, suggesting that we rename the bikes that we're talking about more often. Which, yes, we've already gotten some other feedback on that and we are trying to do as much as we can. So thank you there, Chris. It's a good email. There's a lot there. So we got a shorter one here from Matthew. He says, Hey guys, I'm a new writer and recently found your podcast. I'm a huge fan. I think I would be amazing at What Would That Be? Which is a game that we now call Made Up Motorcycle. He says, I think the Jackalope would be a Honda. Take two ruckuses and mount them together and lock the front wheels. Then you control steering with a Bobcat style dual joystick mechanism. I could keep going, and honestly, it would be a lot of fun. If you guys ever want a new rider point of view and a fun round of what would that be, let me know. Keep up the good work and ride safe, Matt. So, Matt, uh, what we're thinking about is possibly if around episode 100 we start a Patreon and some sort of pay model for the show, 
we may have a part where people are able to just pay to be on the show. We don't know if we're going to do that. We have had listeners on before. We've had pretty good results with listeners being on the show thus far. So there's two strategies with that. We could just count ourselves lucky and quit while we're ahead. Or we can still proceed with having listeners on, but very cautiously. So for now, part of uh, doing this cautiously is maybe hold off for a few episodes. Because if we do introduce a pay model, we don't want people to be like, well, some other guy got on the show for free like six weeks ago. Why would I pay to do it now? Right? We would make that irrelevant. So until we decide what we're going to do, we can't have anybody on. But we love your enthusiasm. And don't give up hope. Right? We're not huge celebrities. The idea of talking to us about made-up fictional motorcycles is a real and attainable thing. Okay? So, so that's that for that right now. Uh, So we got a couple more emails. Oh, we heard back from Matt, who did the ZX6R budget build, right? So he says... Hey, Nokomoto Podcast, it's been a while since I've emailed you, and I have a moment of downtime tonight at work, so I figured I would drop you a line. Appreciate your comments about my completed ZX6R. I think it turned out pretty sweet. It did. Also, I am still really liking my idea to use the spray-on bed liner for the gas tank. I think that it looks really sweet, and there are no worries about any scratches, especially this time of year when the temp drops to around 18 degrees and I'm wearing layers. I've attached a picture in case you don't remember. The fairings were purchased from, let's see, it says like Oxmarts or Oxmarts, A-U-C-T-S-M-A-R-T-S.com. I have read lots of reviews about their fairings, mostly good, but there are a few negative ones out there too. I would highly recommend these from my experience with them. The shipping is free, comes with a few extras, and I received them in about three weeks. MotoGP commented on my last email I had sent you about possibly talking on your podcast about my experience as a paramedic and some safety tips or things that I think would be helpful. And yes, I'm absolutely willing to chat with you guys. Sweet. Uh, Let's see here. He's included a picture that I'm going to try to put in the notes of a helmet that a firefighter picked up from an accident scene. And this is one of, it's basically a Harley DOT bandana. And wow, this helmet is like non-existent. So this is one of those safety items. Get real helmets, people. And then he's got some ideas here for best of the show. So I might just hold these back. Um, But he does here actually give an episode number. And this is another request on episode 100 for some playback of Swiggy reading drunk emails. Or Swiggy drunk reading emails. We just need a montage of drunken email stumbling. 
I think that's what I'm going to have to put together, a little drinking email montage. Um, but yeah, he thought it was pure gold. So... <laughs> Yeah. This is two episodes in a row now. We haven't had you reading emails drunk, so we need to get back to that because it turns out people fucking love it. <laughs> All right. And there's one more email here that got. Ah, oh, this one's a little short. Uh, short. This is from Ren. It says, hey, Ren here. Haven't written to you guys in a while. I was just listening to Mature Rides episode, and I must agree with Swiggy. The Moto Guzzi V9 is a crummy bike. Now, I love Moto Guzzi, but to this day, I haven't ridden one of their bikes I didn't love riding, but for the V9. That bike's tank, with its pronounced sharp edges on the sides of its flank, is extremely uncomfortable. The sides of the tank dig into the insides of my knees while in the way. The seat, too... With heavy piping, right on the insides of the thigh are, is terrible. I could ride a V7 all day, but a 10-minute test ride on a V9 was too long. I really hated that bike. There is not enough extra torque and power there to make me love that bike. Now, the perfect combination would be a V7 tank and seats on a V9 frame. I know there is at least one such bike in California... I would take the V7 any day of the week. Keep the rubber side down. Ren, a Noco Loco. There you go. Okay, well, let's see here. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just confirming things you already said about the V, about that. Um, interesting idea to put the V7 tank on the V9. I um, do like that, because they're both fairly stripped down bikes for the most part. So... Given that there's, given how stripped down the V9 is, I guess the the V7 tank on it doesn't sound like it would look all that out of place. If you've got the seat on there as well, it might actually be rideable and bearable. Yeah, yeah, especially because the V9 bobber is the dumbest thing ever, because there's about a quarter inch of the back of the seat that's not there, and I guess that's what makes it a bobber. It's it's so preposterous. Uh, yeah, so that seat has to go. Just because it's... It, oh. Okay. All right. And I think we've actually made it to about an hour and a half of recording roughly here. Let me see. Well, hour and 15. That's fine. Um, it's going to be a shorter episode again. But you know what? We're in the car. We don't have as many resources around us. And yeah. So, I think I'm good to call this one done if you are. Yep. Okay, cool. So, next week, you can expect a much more normal episode from us. And I guess I'm going to remind everyone to leave those ratings and reviews if you can, please. We got some more in this week that was really awesome to see. It always helps. Remember to do your duty to leave a rating and review or turn a friend onto the show or post something about the show somewhere conspicuous on the internet and that will earn you the title of a true noco loco so with that remind everyone to stay safe and stay tuned keep fighting the dragon let's go out on some music let's see huh are we ready 
And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle.